0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Um, well, again, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt, and one of the pastors here, and get to lead with um, Jay and Chuck. And it's been, a, it's been a wild summer, and if you can believe it, the summer, at least kind of in the way our city rolls, is now over. I'm sorry. Um, it is hot as anything, though, right now, so I'm hopefully hopefully that'll change soon. But that being said, um, how many of you guys recently moved to Jacksonville in the last like month? Just kind of maybe like that, like quick. Anybody? A few people, like maybe 10 people. Welcome to Duval. So (laughs) you'll get that later. It's all good. Hopefully you won't. I don't know. Um, But anyways, welcome to Duval County. And We're glad you guys are here. We know that the fall and the beginning of school year means there's a lot of people that have moved um, into our city from around the country for jobs, and people are starting new schools and new elementary schools and middle schools and high schools and all that stuff, and we know that real estate's really big in the summer and people move around the city, and so maybe you're here checking things out, Uh, but we're glad you guys are here. Uh, Real quickly, um, our story is that we're about three years old coming up this fall from the first time that we met um, in a living room over here in Springfield. And gathered up and talked about what it meant to be a church that responded to the gospel of Jesus and just tried to respond in loving uh, God and loving our city well and to be a community that did that together and and call it a church and be on mission here in our city to see the gospel uh, bring reconciliation across a bunch of different broken things in our city. Um, Racial um, reconciliation, uh, socioeconomic classism um, reconciliation, um, there's, there's a ton of brokenness every way around, but this morning, what we're going to talk about is kids, uh, because we're about to be a city that this week, like you're going to see school buses going everywhere, you're going to be stuck behind them, um, you might be driving them, we will pray for you and fast for you, don't know how you will survive, but we, you'll see all kinds of stuff colliding this week around children. And if you have kids, um, you will be colliding with your children um, tomorrow morning and trying to figure out how to get them dressed and fed and survive for the next 12 hours apart from you, right? And so we have all this going on, and we just want to take a moment to talk about um, the gospel and children. And it's something that, in a lot of ways, is one of the most broken things um, in us and in our homes and in our city and in our classrooms. The way that we relate to children, the way we see children, um, ultimately comes back to the way that we find uh, our place in the story of God. Um, Are we children of God? Are we orphans um, estranged from God? Um, What's our place in the story? And so the big word that you're going to walk away with, I think, today probably isn't kids, but it's going to be the word story. And I hope it's uh, shown to be throughout the text that we're going to look at today a huge idea that we've got to get our our hearts and our minds around, um, basically, uh, what story are we telling our kids, and uh, what story are they telling us, and how does that connect with the way that God would tell the story of the world. And so, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in right now. Jesus, you're the only one who could tell the story of the world, and it be true. It's, It's the true story. Um, the way we tell the story of the world isn't complete yet. We don't have uh, full awareness of everything that you're doing and what's going on and who we really are and what's really wrong with us and what's really right with us. And we can't tell the story apart from you. And so we need your spirit to guide us and to instruct us today. Um, Would it be meaningful right now, the time that we have together? Would it be something that maybe is a pivot for the way that uh, we love our children, the ones that you've entrusted to us. So we love our friends and the little ones around us, the ones that we, uh, the the kids, uh, the friends, kids that we have, the, the people in school next to us. Would it change the way we love people today, uh, because we see how you see us? So tell the story right now by the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So a minute ago we were just singing a song. What's the name of the song where you're just like spinning and dancing? Freedom. Freedom okay. Um, I'm sitting down because I'm really tired. You're like, Matt, you're weird. Who do you think you are? Is this a talk show? Do you think you're somebody special? No, I'm just tired. That's it, okay? Um, I don't normally sit down, but I don't want to stand up, so I'm sorry. But we were just singing that song, Freedom, right? And in that song, there was a group of kids over here, and they were having a good time, okay? And then there was a group of adults over here. And they were trying to figure out if they really wanted to be in this building at all, you know. And I don't know if I want to be here. Like, don't they know it's 10 o'clock and the world's terrible? Why are we singing and dancing, you know. And the kids are over here just, bah! you know, this is great. And, um, and there's this big contrast. And I want to look at something that Jesus um, brings to the table. So the time, uh, this time came where the disciples come to Jesus and they said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. He put the child there. So the question is asked, and before Jesus says anything, he shows them something. He shows them a child. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who, becomes humble as a, who, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck And be drowned in the depths of the sea. So the disciples come to him. And they ask a different kingdoms question. They ask a question that comes from the kingdom of this world. Who is the greatest? And Jesus says, well let me show you who the greatest is in the other kingdom that you don't get quite yet. I'm going to bring that child, I'm going to put him right here in front of these disciples, these knuckleheads, these stubborn fools of friends of mine, okay? I'm going to put a little kid right in front of them. And I'm going to say, this, this is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. It looks like being a child. And uh, this is something that we're going to go with and, uh, and kind of hit me in the last 20 minutes or so. That when it comes to adults seeing children, children show us what the true story is. Okay? And then later we're going to look at how adults are called to tell children what the true story is. But we have a hard time showing children what the true story is. But children just naturally show us the true story. And I want to put this idea in front of us that that you're coming into today, and I'm coming into today, and you're looking at that song, Freedom, and what's happening in the room is there's two stories going on. There's one story that says, so much relies on you, it's not even funny. So much depends upon your strength and your energy and your gifting and your talent. There is no freedom for you. So much is not understood by you that it calls God into question and you put him in the place of judgment. And there's so many unanswered why questions for you that there's no way you could dance before a God that you don't understand. There's a story going on that says, who knows how you're going to pay the bills by the end of August. There's a story going on that says, who knows how your marriage is going to work out. There's a story going on with all kinds of questions, and they're, they're legitimate questions. But within that story, the only thing that's real is what you can see and explain and control. It's the only thing, the only thing going on is this, this I got to do this and figure it out. And the kids over here have a whole other story going on. They know they don't understand the world, Okay. That's why they're asking you a million why questions every second in the car, right? But somehow they have this whole list of just very curious questions. But then there's this other thing where they know they're so weak that unless someone takes care of them, it won't go well for them. But they can just kind of be, you know, here in the room and be free for a moment and sing and dance. And and they show us a a humility that many of us struggle to find. And... When I, we talk about these two stories, um, I want to put out this idea that what's actually happening is the world and all of what's in the air and TV and radio from you and everybody else is telling our children a story. This is the way the world is. Okay? One is like uh, C.S. Lewis was talking about defending why he writes fairy tales And people are like, if you tell kids fairy tales, it gives them unrealistic expectations. If you tell kids fairy tales, um, they're going to grow up thinking the world is full of um, heroes and villains and evil and righteousness, and that there's cowards and there's people that have courage, and they're going to grow up in this world that just isn't real. So why are we telling kids these fairy tales? And C.S. Lewis is saying, because, and and I'm going to butcher his quote because he's C.S. Lewis, right? Uh, But... It's essentially this, is that it's not the people writing fairy tales that are actually writing fairy tales. It's the people writing nonfiction, talking about reality. They're the ones writing the true fairy tales in our world right now. It's the way that we tell the news story and value something and don't value something else that tells the fairy tale. It's that when you actually come along to a kid and you say, the world is enchanted, that you're actually telling them the truth. But it's when you come along and you tell a kid that you're just a a molecule in motion on a speck of dirt that flung out of some giant explosion that we don't really know where the stuff that could explode came from, but it did. And then you're here, and you're haphazardly flinging around a giant ball of fire. And one day that ball of fire will just consume everything else. And you're just here as some specific elements in motion with no meaning or purpose or design, that's when we're actually telling kids a fairy tale. Now we're actually not talking about reality, now we're talking about myth. And it's the confusion of myth and reality in our culture and in our classrooms and in our houses that I think we have to be very careful of. Maybe it's part of what Jesus is saying when he says I tell you the truth unless you become like a child you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven you know unless you actually can become like a child and embrace the instincts that things actually are enchanted and mysterious and majestic and amazing and larger than your life and unless you can embrace the fact that you you are a piece of the story but the whole world is not revolving around you, unless you can have humility, you can't enter into this kingdom. But maybe it's part of what he means when he says, if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it'd be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the ocean. What if one of the ways that we're causing children to stumble in our city the most is that we're lying to them about what the true story really is? So um, the other day I was really, okay, Um, and it was a normal day and I was like really angry at the end of the day, okay? And um, I won't tell it like a lie, okay? I was ending the day, I did not get everything done that I needed to get done. I got a bunch of phone calls that really depressed me and uh, ended the day by looking at my checking account, okay? And, (laughs) And so it's bedtime now. And uh, Cash is in this thing where he knows that if he says he has to go poop, we can't say no, okay, because he pooped in the bed, and who wants to clean that up again, okay? Okay, and now he's, he's like, caught on to the, the way the, wor- the thing works. It's like, okay, and the other day, my mother-in-law told us that he was dropping little pellets, he went poop like 20 different times, like in, out, wash hands, go back to bed. I got to go poop. And every time you couldn't say anything because he's dropping a pellet. Like somehow he's regulating his system, okay, And to manipulate the system, all right? And he he's genius, all right, genius. You're like, this church, I'm never coming here again. We're off in the woods. You're right. Welcome to the image. Okay, so, but real talk, okay, parents to parents here or babysitters to, you know, whatever. It's... You, you go, listen, this is what's going on, but then I'm done. Like, I'm out of it. I'm angry. I'm depressed. I'm whatever. And then the other thing that they know they can do to extend bedtime is to say, Dad, you didn't pray for us. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't pray for you because I don't want to pray. <laughs> and I didn't say it. It was like so close to coming out of my mouth, but I knew that would cost me like part of their soul, right? Like literally, like it would like hurt, it would wound them in a different kind of way. And I was thinking to myself today when we were singing that song, Freedom, that maybe one of the reasons God tells us keep looking at your kids is because if you look at them, they call you back to the true story. It's like... They get it. You know, they're, they're like, Dad, like, God really hears us. And, and we get to stay up a little longer. And, and we want you to pray for us. And I have to wrestle in that moment, looking at the face of my kids, which story do I really believe? Is the world really as screwed up without any kind of sovereign grace overseeing it as I think it is right now? Am I really as alone as I really feel right now? Um, And when I look at the face of my kids, I'm like, I have to, in this moment, believe the real story, because for their sake, they need to grow up knowing the true story. The true story. The true story right now is that we're all going to bed, and while we're in our sleep, we have a God who doesn't sleep. While while we close our eyes and entrust ourselves to him, he's working every single other molecule and matter in this universe to our good. And we do not love ourselves more than he loves us. And, And kids, I don't love you more than God loves you. And he has us. And so when I have to tell the kids the true story as I pray over them, I'm telling myself the true story. It's Jesus putting the kids right back in front of me like he did with his disciples to say, this is what it's like. This surrender, this humility, this is what it's like. This childishness is what it's like. This is what it's like. And the question is, though, what will happen if I come and tell them the other story, though? The, the, the lie. The, lie that the, the, the first lie from the enemy to our first parents, Adam and Eve, when the enemy comes along and says, God is holding out on you. He's keeping you in the dark and he's going to manipulate you and keep good things from you. You really need to take life into your own hands. What happens if I tell the story of the world that way? It's going to be tying a millstone around their neck. And they will drown in that story. And that's what's happening. So uh, teachers, think about when you're... When you're well, let me, let's go to the next text about story. Um, so they show us the story... But then God calls us to tell them the story. My people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. So I'm going to speak to you in a story. And I'm going to teach you hidden lessons from our past. Parables. I just Wikipedia this earlier. Or our stories are didactic stories for teachers and all that stuff. I had to look that word up too. It's stories with intent. Okay. Moral instruction behind these stories. Stories we have heard and known, stories of our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. For He has issued His laws to Jacob. He has given instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Why? So the next generation might know them. These stories, these instructions... Even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set his hope anew on God. Not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commandments. They won't forget them because they've been told the story after story after story and instruction and commandment. One after the other. Then they will not be like their ancestors. Stubborn, rebellious and unfaithful. Refusing to give their hearts to God. Refusing to give their hearts to God. You may get your children to be compliant because of your discipline. And because of the ways that you're saying they're going to reap what they sow. Okay, mainly the paddle or keys or the phone or whatever. And if paddle, you're like, Woo, I don't, okay, whatever. Um, But you may get them to fear you or fear the consequences of the sin. But the question is, how are you going to get their heart? Because Jesus says out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks, that the heart is the wellspring of life. That out of the heart is where everything is going to come out, good and evil, going to come come out of your kids' hearts. How are you going to get to their heart? And what the psalmist is saying is the way you're going to get to their heart the way that they're not going to be stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God, one of the ways that you're going to contribute to that is you're going to tell them stories. And you're going to tell them the stories about what God has done and who He is, what He has accomplished for our ancestors and for you and for me. You have to tell them stories. Um, Check this quote out. This is something that rocked me over the summer that I was reading and was very helpful Our hearts traffic in stories. Not only are we lovers, we are also storytellers and story listeners. As the novelist David Foster Wallace once put it, we need narrative like we need space and time. It's a built-in thing. We are narrative animals whose very orientation to the world is most fundamentally shaped by stories Indeed, it tends to be stories that capture our imaginations, stories that seep into our heart and aim our love. We are less convinced by arguments than we are moved by stories. The philosopher, good luck, um, Alice Aslan um, McKintree, <laughs> says that stories, check this out, this is, a, this is a money quote, stories are so fundamental to our identity That we don't know what to do without one. As he puts it, I can't answer the question, what ought I to do, unless I have already answered a prior question. Of which story am I a part? Okay, write that down, get a tattoo, whatever you need to do. Okay, you can't answer the question, what should you do, unless you first framed out what story am I a part of? The story is going, to di- is going to dictate what you should do. Think through this, okay? If the story is you're alone, you are simply dirt about to become dirt again. You will be buried and you will be forgotten. And the only opportunity you have for pleasure, for joy, for status, for, for intimacy... If the only opportunity you have for that is now. If that is your story, the story is about now and only now and only you, then what should you do? Whatever you feel like, whatever gives you the stuff you want, whatever protects yourself, whatever provides for yourself. Wake up in the morning and the story is you're alone? Well, then you're going to live that way. Now, teachers, when the kid walks through the class and they've just been to one of their friend's funerals, or they've just had their life threatened, or they didn't eat breakfast, and they didn't make the bus, and they got written up, and they come in angry as anything, or checked out as anything, blank face, and they just look like a zombie. You need to ask, what is the story? What is the story they are being given right now? What is the story that they're believing right now? They're going to live out of that place in their heart. This is the story. This is the story. School, this is simply four block walls to keep me protected for a few hours of the day. And that's my story. That's going to change me. If you come in, whatever you come into the day with, but whatever story you're going to believe that day, you're going to live out of that story. And so what if the fundamental thing we're called to do with our kids is to tell them a different story, to tell them the true story? Because what they're going to hear on the radio, what they're going to hear through music, what they're going to hear through Facebook, the news feed is telling a story about this is the way the world is. Their Instagram feed is telling them this is what they should value. The Snapchat video, they're getting to their, you know, 24-hour whatever thing, it's going to, you know, expire. That, whatever's going on, whatever people are laughing at, that's what's funny. This is what's important. What is the story? You, you understand that the visualization of our culture is now so powerful at telling stories. We are, like, if you are going to try to tell a different story, it's going to take crazy intentionality. And trust me, if you wake up believing the same story, that everybody else is believing and you think your kids are just going to go off and get some moral values and that they're going to come to church and we're going to be able to give them a 30 minute story in kids ministry on Sunday and they're going to walk around in the saturation, the complete, like they're swimming in a different story all the time. And Jesus takes one of them and he says, but those moments where they're actually enchanted and they actually have this childlike way of seeing the world, they're seeing the real story. See it. Parents, like as parents, okay, if you're in your 20s, 30s, teen, whatever you are, as parent, like parents, I think we have a hard time living in the real story. We got the pressure, we got the providing, we got the daily grind, you got your marriage, you got your relationships, you got your, you know, other extended relationships. You got all kinds of drama coming in and getting your mind away from the true story. And so you're reflecting to your kids all the time a different story. And it's really hard. Grandparents, though oftentimes can see a completely different story. I've noticed this with my grandparents. I've noticed this with other friends and their grandparents. And even if they're not in a different phase of life, they approach grandkids differently for some reason. It's like they approach them with this, like, knowledge. They can't control this kid. They can't orient this kid's life. They've already lost control of their own kids, okay? They know what's really going to happen. They're not living under this facade and this pressure. You know, um... Uh, my grandfather passed away this past week, and I just can't remember the stories he told me. But there's one thing that he said every single time I saw him, and I thought he was crazy because he was crazy, but I, and I put this in the crazy box, but it might be the most sane thing he ever said. We would walk around, and he would just say, I don't know why God has me here, but he has me for a purpose. I can't quite figure all of it out, but I know he has this purpose for my life. He has a destiny for me. Like, I'm, I don't understand. It was like basically, he's saying over and over again, Matt, we're in a bigger story. And it isn't what it appears to be. And it, and it shaped me. It pushed me around to think, okay, the world isn't just what's right here. The world is bigger than that. The story is bigger than that. And it didn't have the gospel and it didn't have everything we're going to talk about in just in a minute, but it pushed me. But there is a whole other story being broadcasted that these kids are alone, that their life really ultimately is meaningless. Maybe they're special and unique like a snowflake, but they're a snowflake that will melt and be forgotten. Seriously, it's the worst analogy we could ever give to our kids, right? You're like, "Oh, take that one back. Um, making snowflakes in Sunday school probably today, I'm sorry. Um, We have to be really careful of the story we tell our kids. And so, as we get into this, I I want to, we're into it, but I want to read a different story. And I want to ask you which one you believe. So the writer of the Hebrews says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. So check this out. A long time ago, God told stories to our ancestors through the prophets. The prophets were declaring, this is reality. This is what's really going on. This is why you're in exile. This is what God will do. This is how you will be saved. This is what God is doing in the world. This is the story, the prophets were saying. But in these final days, he's come to tell us a story through his son. And God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of God, or at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name given him is greater than their names. Okay, I want, this is the simple way to say it. Are you telling your kids, or the ones that you have contact with, the ones that you have influence on, are you telling them the true story? The true story. That the maker of everything you see, he came here. And 2,000 years ago, he came here. And he lived flesh and blood, just like me and you. He came here. And he lived without sin. He he lived perfectly. He, He was... He was put away and he wasn't believed in, and people didn't know what to do with him. But he came to love us and to make all things new. All the ways that things are broken, he came to to bring healing and restoration to them. He came here and he is still alive now because although he died, he's actually alive and he knows you. He knows you by name. And he created you, he loves you. He knows everything that's going to go on with you today at school. And he actually said he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He says he'll be with you. This is the real story. You know, or is it, good luck at school today. Hope you have a great day. Dang, I would never want to go to middle school again. You know, in my life, you're just dropping them off, and you're driving away, and what's the story? And, okay, here's the thing. Um, I haven't done this for three weeks, and so this isn't me saying I'm an awesome parent, right? This is me saying I found, like, something that was helpful and I need to do it more often to tell the story. But when we were in the mountains this summer, um, and all the pressure was kind of fading away after a couple, we had like three weeks there. And after week two, I think we started doing this. It just would come to me, and I would bring Knox and Cash, and we'd sit on the, ca- on the uh, porch. And I would ask them, I would just ask them a very simple question. I would start with Cash. I would say, who are you? He'd say, Cash. I said, okay, good. we um, have gotten something across to you. And then I would say, let's add something to that. Let's say, Cash Jensen. Who are you? Cash Jensen. And he kind of does it in his two-year-old voice, and it's awesome and cute. Um, and he's smiling, just like, this is the dumbest question, Dad. I know who I am, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, so who are you? Cash Jensen. And I just say, who made you? God. Um, and then I would say, who made all this stuff around us? God. And then I ask this other question, and it's added in a couple days later. I would say, whose story are you in? Whose story are you in? And they would say, God's. And I'd say, why did God make you for his story? Why did he put you in his story? And then the first answer we'd go is either, he made, you for her, he made me for his glory, which they have no idea what that means right now. Um, but they do get, he made me because he loves me. So, which I think are flip sides of the coin in a lot of ways, Right? If he made you for his glory, that means he loves you. Holy cow, does it mean he loves you? Because if he made you for his glory and you get to enjoy his glory and see him in his glory, and if you get to reflect his glory, there is nothing more loving he could have ever done for you than to make you for himself. There's no one that you could ever be written into a story by that would be more glorious and special and powerful and wealthy and beautiful than God. And he made you for his story because he wants you in his story. He actually wants you in his story. And when I'm telling the boys this, and we do this a few mornings in a row, they're starting to get it, right? Um, And it changes the way kind of I'm like we get to them screwing up and doing something like both of them have black eyes right now they gave them to each other so it's um and so and then when our youngest has a bloody lip okay so he's one all right not even one was he one so anyway so not even one not even one so two black eyes and a bloody lip that's how good of parents we are right now right and but when they're doing that and I ask them other bigger questions who is this this is my brother like, wow, why did God give you a brother in this story? To love him and for him to love me? And he gave me a brother so I could see what, what in another way this is what God is like. You know, things like that changes everything. And it'd be like, that's very technical and that's not going to change anything. I don't know. Okay, I'm experimenting right now. But it sounds a lot like what Psalm 78 was saying. When we start to get into, wow, God made you for his story to show your brother what he was like did you just show your brother what God is like when you punched him in the eye? Well, no. Okay, well, then you're telling your brother a different story. And I could do this with Knox, he's six. He's starting to really get stuff like this like in a different way. You're showing your brother because you're an image bearer of God. You're showing your brother, this is the way the world works is that people will love you, will punch you in the face. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, they do. I'm like, yes, they do. Okay, Um, good point. (laughs) Regroup, okay, okay. Okay, but what did Jesus do when he came into our story? To do, what did he do to deal with that? Well, he died for that sin. And so we're in different levels of conversation than just you did the wrong thing, apologize and say you're sorry. But like he has dignity in the story now. Like It makes it feel much more like he's a prince in this story, this grand scheme that God wrote him into this story for a purpose and with a reason and knows him by name and has called him to be Knox Jensen in the Jensen family at this place and in this time for a specific reason. And God loves him and he loves his brothers and he has a purpose for our family. It's a totally different thing. So when he goes away to school, he has an identity of a bigger place in the story. And even if you don't have this family that's all put together, this kid can find a different place in the story because they're a child of God. And they have a different story with that piece of the story. And so I I don't know how it's all going to work. I'm new at parenting. I'm six years in and we're figuring it out and they have black eyes and bloody lips. But I can tell you this. I wish someone would have come along and told me at a young age, Matt, who you are is not defined by what you're going to do in the story. You know what the big thing that defines you in the story is that God wanted you in it. That God wrote you into it because he loves you. And he didn't write you into the story because he couldn't get stuff done without you. He wrote you into the story because he wanted to bring you along in it. And to show off how awesome he is and let you be a part of that. He wrote you into the story, you know, to go back to grandpa, why why are we here? He made you, grandpa, because he loves you. And he wants you to enjoy him and he wants to enjoy you and he wants to have good times with you. He wants to have fun with you and he wants to put you in the middle of a bunch of people and say, be like a child and surrender for a minute and repent of having this idea that you can, you can never be like a child again. You've got to grow up. What if we need to stop teaching our kids to grow up? Because what we're hearing in that is like, put away the myths and put away the enchantment and just deal with reality. Well, reality, the way that's being spun right now, is not real. This is the true story. And so, if you are alone, I just want to ask you, what story are you believing? What story are you walking in here with, and what story are you going to walk away with? And what story are you going to tell your kids? Maybe on the way to school every morning, you could say, All right, kids, who are we? We're the Jensen's. You're the whoever. Who made us? God. God. Okay? Can you do anything today to make God love you less? Can you be completely disobedient to your teacher today in a way that would make God love you less? No. But could you do some things today that would love your teacher and your friends at school in a way that would make God smile and would would just be exciting for him and he would love to watch that? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. What did Jesus do with your sin when you didn't do that today or today, when you don't do that? Well, he died for it. Like, just ask some questions that tell the different story. Let them tell you the gospel back. And then maybe the cynicism that you go to the office with, that never, things will never change, maybe those kids will show you the gospel. They'll tell you and show you the good news as you tell them and ask them about it yourself. Look to your kids to show you what the kingdom is like. But then let's tell our kids a different story that tells them the true story, of what's really going on. They're not going to get it from the world. They're not going to get it from anywhere else. You've got to tell them the story. And trust me, when your kids say, you haven't prayed for me yet, it calls you back to the true story. Even when they're manipulating you. <laughs> it calls you back to reality. The real reality. I-, I couldn't walk away from Jesus a lot of days because it would tell my kids a lie that I know like, I know what's really true. I don't understand a lot of what's going on, and some days I just want to walk away from everything. But at the same time, when I look at my kids, I'm like, but that's not true. And these kids, like, it shows me it's not true. It brings us back to reality. So teachers, you get to look reality in the face all the time, but you're going to be disillusioned by day one tomorrow, right? Would you tell yourself the true story? Would you get in a house party? And would, you, would we tell our teachers the true story? That they're working with eternal beings all the time that have value and are more important than they could ever imagine? That as they give them an attitude, what they're really looking for is do you love me too? Or are you just gonna write me off like everybody else? Can I scare you enough away from me so that I don't have to deal with real relationship? Could, an, could you see people as an eternal being? We were talking about this as my last thing, and we're gonna close. I think one of my biggest problems with my kids right now is I don't see them as humans. I see them as children and because they're not adults it's like they're not fully human yet what if the way that i'm talking to my kids really reveals that i don't think they're fully human what if the root of racism and brokenness in our city is the way that we don't see races and other people and other classes as fully human starts with the fact that we don't see our kids as fully human what if the fact that we start very at a very young age being treated as though we're not fully human and then we in turn treat our kids as if they're not fully human. Well, what if what is walking around our church and in our houses and in our classrooms are fully human, eternal beings made in the image of the eternal God? And what if in these moments, in their childlike years, they're reflecting what real humanity is like more than we are by this age? What if I'm not really reflecting the image of God, and what it means to really be human by my cynicism at age 31 now? What if I've lost some of that reflection, and what if they really show it more than I can right now? Could we elevate the value of our children in a way where they're fully human right now? We're not waiting for them to become human. We're waiting for them to become adults. And when they become adults, would they be childlike adults? It's an upside-down thing. So I just want to repent with you. I'm going to repent today of not talking to my children as humans, but talking to them like minions, okay? <laughs> For seeing them through a lens of, of cynicism and, and like they're an inconvenience at times and they get in the way of, the, of what I really need to be about. And what if they're what I'm really needing to be about and they really show me the true story? And they show me more of what it even means to be human. Could you repent with me in that? And then... At the end of the day, I just want you to see that I, why didn't Jesus just come at age 30 and live three years? Like Jesus was born as a baby. I came was born just like all of us are born, comes into the world, lives as a baby and lives as a kid. And all along, he is fully human and fully God. And he is reflecting perfectly what God is like. He's imaging God even as a child and as an infant. And as a teenager, if you could possibly believe that. And he's there, at least in my teenage years, looked nothing like. Anyways, n- another story. What if you could look at Jesus living perfectly as a human, living our story? And what if he lived perfectly in your place? All the ways that if you're a teenager, you're not living, but Jesus lived perfectly. He did that for you. And what if he died in your place for your sins? And so I just want to tell you, he did. And we're going to take communion celebrating the fact that he took a bunch of people who think we need to grow up and get control of our lives. And he came and said, you know what? I'm going to get control of everything. I'm going to die for your sin. And you can actually surrender and be humble and give me your sin and actually know that, okay, I'm adopting you into the family of God. And me and my father, we've got you. We've got your sin. We've got your secrets. We've got your shame. We've got you covered. And you can actually come and dance and be free. And if you're not free, man, that's a hard place to be. So would you come and surrender in faith as we take communion? Let me pray for us right now. Jesus, uh, we're complex. We're upside down and we're everywhere. We don't know uh, what story we find ourselves in most days. But Jesus, would we hear the real story that you love us? Would we hear the real story that you called us into your story for a reason? Because you wanted us to be in the story you wanted it. And it's so hard to see that in some of our stories. In the certain chapters of our stories, we don't, we don't know where the heck you are and what's going on. But we can look to the chapter of the big story where Jesus, you came after us and you loved us to the point of death. You brought us to yourself and we can trust you. God, would we look at children to show us the real story and would we tell them the truth that this world really is enchanted, this world really is supernatural, this world really is different than we ever Um, imagined in a lot of ways because you came and showed us, Jesus, that you have the power over death, over sin, over our enemy, and that you're with us, God. God, would we know that and would we celebrate that? Would you give us freedom? God, I pray that the ratio of freedom to frozen in our church would be undone. The cynicism in our adult hearts would be chipped away at. Would you give us the freedom that our kids show us, the humility that they show us, as we come and take communion, would you, would you start to work that in us? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.